cages. They were the easy part of Combat Shock. Meet Frankie Dunlop, decorated war hero, ex-prisoner of war. But when he returned home, nothing had prepared him for the nightmare that would follow. And welcome Combat to Shock. Midnight Flicks podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory i am one of your hosts adam walker and joining me as always is pat mitchell and here we are at episode two of season three feeling good so far the wheels haven't gone off yet but today that could be the day you never know. I am feeling as we are prone to do when we, uh, with the format that we've laid out of me picking one, you picking one, I do feel uh, a genre, a whiplash of sorts here. You know it, buddy. Which isn't always uh, a bad thing. Um, but we, we, we tend to hit the ping pong back and forth, and uh, it's like I'm. I'm smashing it and then you will like lob it over softly. Like we have two different styles and predilections in terms of uh, movie choices here. So we're really mixing it up in terms of at least budget wise. We're having budget whiplash this week from (laughs) going from Cobra to Combat Shock. That'd be fun if we did um, a C movie every episode this this season. I mean, it's not going to happen. I'm not doing that. But two yeah. for two, two for two, um, and two gritty urban related movies, as I stated last week. Yeah, they're not like completely unrelated. Uh, you know, so I, I think they have that in common. But in terms of Big Dick uh, action uh, budget with a uh, egomaniac to like all egos are set aside for like this what what amounts to a a college film project in combat shock <laughs> two different ends of the spectrum here yeah and I mean there could have been egos involved I don't know I don't know a whole lot about well, uh, that's true you know. When it comes to filmmaking and auteurs, 
No one that deserves to have an ego, at least with Combat Shock. At least Stallone earned an ego. <laughs> Maybe down the road. Well, I yeah, mean, I'm, ex- I'm excited to to talk about it. I, I'm sure very few people listening have have watched it. I would imagine, right? Combat Shock 1984, correct? That is correct. Well, and that and you know that is why we do this. There's there's a there's a multitude of reasons why we do this, but for me, it is to get maybe some lesser known movies out there to people that might be listening. You know, because our dynamic and and what we cover it, it covers a wide spectrum of the movie universe it's not necessarily we're not very i mean we're niche but we're not so niche that we're just existing in some very very you know um <coughs> subterranean sphere of cinema all the time that's kind to of piggy, to piggyback off of last week when we tried to describe midnight flicks at the end of the day these are just fucking movies we would want to watch at midnight. I think that's the the end of like the most succinct way to describe it is what would Pat and Adam be watching at midnight? Like what is something that I would throw on as like a, a nightcap of sorts? Um, something fun or, you know, in your case. Something sludgy or something. I don't know. Bleak. <laughs> Bleak. Weird. Yeah. It's just at the end of the day, it's whatever the fuck movie we want to watch. So, yeah. Yeah. But, and for- but it's it's only good. It's going to encapsulate a, a specific sort of movie. Well, I'm not going to throw Titanic on or like Deer Hunter. Dear Lord. Right. Or The Godfather. Right. Which, yeah. You know. And for me. Time and place. When I first started getting into the, the things that I enjoy, the things that I pursue entertainment wise, culturally or whatever, music, art, I have always been that type of person that I always wanted to get the next weirdest thing, dig a little deeper. So that applies to how I view and approach cinema as well is... I just try and find as much as I can and, and dig as deep into the dirt and, and shit and garbage to find the little diamonds and and gems in, in the in the in the rough there. So that's kind of how I approach things as well. So that's where we'll have these movies that, you know, are big budget and kind of shitty in their own way, but also we love, but also these very, very obscure, strange movies to a certain extent. So anyways, that being said, last week we started a new feature of the podcast with you opening it up. Called, we're going to tentatively title it Stump the Chump. That's my homage to, I don't know how many people remember Click and Clack, uh, the Car Talk Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that R.I.P. Was, uh, clack. <laughs> yeah. So... That was one of their segments was Stump the Chump. So we're just going to tentatively title it Stump the Chump for now. I didn't realize that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's where that came from. Um, Where we pick an actor and we tell the other person bits of their filmography. We go down the list of their filmography, essentially. And the other person in a minute's time is supposed to uh, discover who that particular actor is, right? Correct. 
that, there we go. They're supposed to guess within a minute's time. So today is my day to pick for you, Pat, and I've got a good one. And I feel like you're gonna get it, but it might be it might be just just difficult enough that you may Maybe not. not. I I feel like I'm gonna be bad at this game. Yeah, it is. Well, and for me, last week again, I was not completely clear on the rules, so you were that at didn't a disadvantage. Help. Yeah, it was the first time doing it. Was, so yeah, I was the guinea pig. So here we go. Are you ready, Pat? Ready. We're gonna go ahead and get this clock started. Okay, so Turkish Delight, 1971. Nighthawks, 1981. Inside the Third Reich, 1982. Blade Runner, 1982. A Breed Apart, 1984. Wonder Howard? Yeah, ding, 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 ding. Boom. Wow. You got it quick. You got it in 22 seconds. I figured Blade Runner really, really Blade Runner was going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one. But I started realizing after Turkish Delight, it was all these uh, Dutch films. Oh, <laughs> So I didn't want to yeah. be... You're kerning, derging, derging, you know. <laughs> sweet, your Swedish chef voice. <laughs> My Dutch Swedish chef voice. Yeah. All right. Was, well, I feel started, feel much better about the game now. We got into Vur Koningen and Vanderland. S. Bagen B. Tiffany. Jesus. Oh, the, Vrood, bre- the Tus- Dutch <laughs> breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> so there we go. Well, you won. Yeah, one and one, one got got a win on the board. We'll see how this goes as we go along. And that's so that is our official record: twenty-two seconds, which is pretty good. Pretty good. It's going to be tough to beat that one. We'll see. Okay, so diving back in. So as we touched upon earlier, tonight's movie is nineteen eighty-four's, or depending on how you view the actual overall release. 1986, Combat Shock, a.k.a. American Nightmares. Yeah, I did see both years on that. Right. So there's there's essentially two different versions that were put out there. The final theatrical version was 1986, Combat Shock. And notably, I would say, as far as I know, Pat, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is our first trauma film yeah, I was gonna so I was gonna mention that um, so there's like two different th- things here though this was distributed by trauma but when I say a trauma movie I think right. of like like you know Tromeo and Juliet or Toxic Avenger Toxic. or like th- that sort of shit terror firmer so like this is a movie distributed by trauma productions Um but does not have any of that, like, you know, the the fart gag noise every five seconds or whatever. Like, there's there's no uh, comedy to be had here. <laughs> well, in, not in a, not, not in a trauma sense. Yeah, not, 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 not intentionally. intentionally. Well, maybe not. And we'll get into this more. But yes, it, it so was. So yes, a, technically, but not you know, not in the way that's like this is the first trauma movie we're doing. It's a trauma produced movie to yes. make the distinction. Right, correct, and that's why I, I 
said trauma related. Yeah, yeah. To make that right. distinction exactly. It, it has, it has the um, like Lloyd Kaufman had nothing to do with this in terms of like directing it or any nothing, you know, no. creative input. Yeah, no, he just helped put it out in the world. And it was directed by Buddy Giovanazzo. This is a Giovanazzo family affair, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. I think for the sake of the pod, we should just call them Buddy G and uh, what's his brother's name? Rick, Rick, Rick G. Rick. Ricky G and Buddy G. Yeah, Giovanazzo. There's a few, yeah, there's a few Giovanazzos related uh, in the film, but these are the two main ones. Got the leading man. Ricky G, director Buddy G. Uh, and the plot description of this is essentially this is a, a down and out, a real down and out story of a Vietnam vet who comes back from the war. He was a POW and he essentially comes back to his own personal Vietnam back in the United States in Staten Island. And so it follows the life of Frankie Dunlin and his. He lives in this hovel of an apartment, this abysmal hovel with his nagging wife and this mutant baby that they've spawned that is apparently the result of his exposure to Agent Orange. And it's essentially a slice of life, day in the life of tale, of this guy just trying to get a job, feed his family, and make it to another day. And we follow him along as he encounters these cast of characters in Staten Island, 80s, 1980s New York, Staten Island, which is completely bombed out. And a horror show of its own. A horror <laughs> show of, of its own. And yeah, and all the bleakness that, in, that, that, that this entails. So that is essentially the summary of this movie. Um, <clears throat> this movie was based essentially off of a song by the band Suicide called Frankie Teardrop. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Suicide or that song, Suicide were a an art punk duo that came out of New York in the early 70s. It was a guy named Alan Vega and a guy named Martin Rev. It was basically just a guy who would howl and scream his lyrics over an electric piano. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> a very, very bare bones operation, but suicide in many ways were proto industrial kind of music. It was, and it's very, very, dis- very disturbing, very jarring, uh, very violent, weird music. And they wrote this one song called Frankie teardrop that essentially Buddy G took the premise of it and adapted it to an entire film. So there you go. I did not know that. Yes. So, uh, and this was Buddy's first full-length movie. Surprisingly, the budget for it wasn't quite the cost of, like, a TV dinner, as you would expect. But by film standards, not not large. It was $40,000. Um, <clears throat> that seems about right. Well, Dead Beat at Dawn was what? Five? Ten? Yeah. And I think Pink Flamingos was maybe even less. Yeah. Pink Flamingos had to have been less. Just like them shooting around Baltimore with their friends. Like, I don't know how that would have cost very much money, but 
<laughs> filming equipment is expensive just in general so yeah i think when we were talking about it it said that the the trailer that they had for pink flamingos alone cost five hundred dollars cost like the entire art budget or something oh. <laughs> the entire <laughs> the entire just on uh, that yeah prop budget or whatever so you know it was a little more than maybe some people would expect but definitely they weren't they weren't rolling in you know scrooge mcduck cash here for sure but you know as far as i know it made its money back and then some it's one of those movies that like deadbeat at dawn eventually it's time caught up with it it did enter the circulation of the cult market and was widely distributed by you know, horror and trash and exploitation people and, and made its mark amongst those circles. And I know it also, it, it influenced Jim Van Beber, although there is some debate because I think Van Beber tends to basically put himself as a contemporary of Buddy as opposed to somebody that came after him and says that essentially the movies were made around the same time, which they kind of were. Deadbeat at Dawn didn't come out until 88, but it was started in 84, whereas hmm. um, this movie actually came out in 1984. There's a lot of parallel parallels that get made to the two movies in certain ways. So, anyways, anything else you have to add to this? No, no, I don't think so. All right. As far as reviews go, of course, there were some negative reviews that... I'm not going to go into depth about it, but essentially some critics were saying, you know, this movie was kind of heavy handed in certain ways or kind of missed the mark in terms of what they were trying to portray with the life of a Vietnam vet coming back and dealing with any PTSD. Uh, so there was some criticism about its portrayal of these this demographic. But all in all, it got a pretty decent, favorable set of reviews. Uh, one in particular from Kurt Dalk said, filled to the brim with nerve shredding nihilism, total despair and take no prisoners attitude. Actually, it takes prisoners and tortures them before killing them. Combat shock is one of the bleakest films you'll ever have a chance to see. It's so bleak, it's almost laughable. But the pathos is too real, even with a mutant baby. There you go. <laughs> I feel like in yeah. a lot of ways that, that sums it kind of up. Yeah, that's a good review. That's a very succinct review. And I because agree. that's what I was saying. Like, it's not a funny movie, but I feel that there is a certain degree of black humor that is injected in it. So there are aspects of it that you kind of are, you kind of like uh, uncomfortably think is funny like a huh? like with the baby the baby in particular so but not its intent at all it's not supposed to be a ha, ha, ha. this is not a feel-good movie whatsoever so anyways that is that do we want to just go ahead and dive into talking about this movie there pat yeah i've just been saving my thoughts for the for the big meat in the middle of the sandwich here can't wait. So here we go. We're going to dive into the good, the bad, and the questionable and dissect this movie a bit.
here we go with the good. So, with this movie, you kind of have to parse things out as far as what's good and what's bad. And not that, for me, it's not that there's a lot of bad necessarily, but this movie makes you feel bad. So, you know, when you talk about the good, you, you got to talk about you got to talk about it in a certain way where it's good in its intent and what it's trying to represent, obviously. And did it meet, meet its aim, but it's not a fun movie like Cobra. Whereas, you know, Cobra is a fun movie. It's a popcorn movie. You can sit and, you know, whatever, drink beers and just have a good time while you're hanging around watching it. But this this is one of those movies that you you don't watch with a group of people. You don't watch with the fam and eat pizza and have a good time. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Um, for me, this movie is good because with a lot of these movies, I like a lot of these 70s, 80s New York films because the if they, for me, if they really portray how desolate that time period was, that for me is good because it really is a time capsule of how much of of a almost third world sort of nation New York was at the time. And there's a lot of talk these days about how bad New York is from certain people and people that either live during this time or know enough about it, it's kind of a head scratcher because there's really no comparison. Like my partner is from New York and you know, her whole family lived there for years. So she, like we talk about this, about how bad New York was. And we look at pictures of how bad New York was and how there's just piles of rubble and debris and, and burned up cars just everywhere and trash. So to me, this is one of those movies that at least tries to resurrect that that time period and how awful it was and putting somebody in it that's already in an awful situation to just magnify how miserable it probably made life for certain people at the time. So that's what I kind of just wanted to say off the top. Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, um, because this this is the the good section. Uh, it's just things that we liked about the movie, um, and you know, just to just to clarify, you know, it doesn't feel good. Movies are one thing, right? Um, but like really dark, uh, really dark subject matter, or really bleak, um, sort of you know, bleak looking movies and bleak feeling movies. I always, I always say like something is really bleak or really dark or really fucked up as like a, as a good thing. Like that, those are right. usually um, positive qualities that I'm sure that I'm talking about. So like whenever I say something is, is bleak or fucked up or like that, like shook me or like, you know, fucked me up to the core. I'm saying like, that ruled <laughs> like yeah. I like I like when when movies you know just as much as I like when if something is a feel good I don't, I'm not like straying away from feel good movies but a movie should make you feel something the worst thing that you that it could do is make you feel nothing it's just 
you just don't care at all. So whether you're crying or just feel really saddened by the whole affair or laughing or scared, like those are you want a movie to elicit emotions. And and this movie is uh, void of any and all happiness. It's like a black <laughs> hole of of any sort of. There's just no redeeming quality, and I don't mean in terms of like the movie doesn't have redeeming quality. I mean the characters and the setting. There is nothing to be gleaned, and there's there's no. <laughs> you mean there's people that you're cheering for specifically, but there is no happy ending, and you know that like early on, like you're not waiting for something good to happen. It's. It's like, you know, 90 minutes of a pretty fucking bleak affair. Right. And that's what I was trying to, to drive at, essentially. That there's, a, there's a caveat here for any folks that maybe this sort of movie isn't their fair. That unless you revel or appreciate art being able to represent that bleakness and that nihilism that is represented in this movie you're not going to get it. You're not going to have a good time. And you know, you're, you're going to get halfway through this movie and be completely bummed out and shut it off. But if you're like me and you like to wallow in the depths of misanthropy and hatred and nihilism and, <laughs> and yeah, bleakness, if you're looking then, for a bad time, look no further. This, this one will give it to you. <laughs> oh, baby. Um, and also, mind you, this isn't a very action-packed movie. It is punctuated, obviously, by certain moments that are action-y. But in a lot of ways, this movie is, is fairly slow-paced. Again, it's, it's a slice-of-life movie where you're essentially following the protagonist, our anti-hero protagonist, throughout one day to the bitter end. So you got to also strap in for that as well. And that can be trying for some people as too that, you know, you don't have the patience for a movie like this that kind of moves along. It's a slow burn kind of movie to a certain extent. And when I say slow burn, you know, there are certain movies that maybe represent that kind of category more than this, but it does have that kind of kind of characteristic to it but i will say one other thing that is good that maybe you're not necessarily ready for is right in the beginning you get introduced to rick ricky's baby which (laughs) that in itself is jarring immediately and that's one of those things where i think (laughs) it's it's done to good effect the baby and it clearly shows this movie's homage to David Lynch and Eraserhead. And in a lot of ways this movie is kind of a mashup of 70s early 80s Scorsese and Eraserhead into this weird lo-fi amalgamation, right? Would you say that? Absolutely. Top top 5 creepiest babies, movie babies. Yeah. Eraserhead. Um it's alive. The baby and it's alive. Yeah. Uh, baby Freddy in Dream Child. Oh yeah. Uh, Selwyn, dead alive. Yep. 
and this. That's it. There's your top five. <laughs> top five creepiest movie babies. Not just children. We're talking like in, enough to sit in a manger or a pram if you're for our British listeners. Uh, <laughs> anything that could sit in a pram. Eraser head. It's alive. Dream child. Dead alive. This. That's it. Those are the top five. I'm not even taking any other suggestions. Well, I'll listen to you, but I'm not taking suggestions from anyone else. <laughs> and this baby doesn't have a name. It's a nameless little. No, mutant. none of those babies really do. I mean, it's it's always like the baby from Eraserhead, the baby from It's Alive. Yeah. I mean, baby Freddy is Freddy Krueger. Selwyn had a name in Dead Alive. Yeah. But, but yeah, for this. Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, haunting. <laughs> it's it's uh, something else. Right. And I don't know how much of that is necessarily a, a directorial or writer's choice, but it does say something when these babies, they don't have a name. They're a, they're an it. They're not they're not viewed as being a human child. They're There's no reason to name them. You're just waiting for the it to die. Just waiting for it to die. <laughs> and that's what I think when I see like this movie. Uh, OK, if that was my baby. I'm sorry that that little fucker would go straight in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not coming home. That not baby crazy. is not coming home. <laughs> they find the find the incinerator in the hospital on the way out and just start over. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a Saturday Night Live skit where um, Will Ferrell plays an obstetrician or something, and the basically the brunt of the skit is or the the the, the crux of the skit is that he loses this couple's baby. And so they're like, what? You know, there's this back and forth of how'd you lose the baby? And he's looking <laughs> for the baby. And then, and then basically the, the punchline is they're just like, well, we'll just make another one. See? Yeah, that's there. That's how I would approach this, too. I'd just be like, yo, do over. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe not make another one with each other that's, if that was the result. That's true. I mean, Frankie's balls apparently are saturated in Agent Orange. He just like he just soak them like a tea bag <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a glass of Agent Orange. Whenever when so, I was little, I always thought people were saying Asian Orange because Asian of, Orange. Yeah, because of uh, you know being used in Vietnam. And I didn't realize until probably finding out about the band Agent Orange that it's actually not Asian Orange. So. And I'm surprised. I'm sure, I'm sure that was used as a racist slur, a racial slur at some point. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. 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 By yeah. Five year old me and right? five year old racist Pat. <laughs> well, we are from Indiana. Did you live in Indiana then, though? You're not originally from Indiana, are you? Right. Um, no, I moved here from Hawaii, but uh, oh, okay. I wouldn't say I'm from Hawaii. Why were you just were you, were so you, young? I mean, I lived there from when I was like two to seven or something. You wouldn't say that you lived in Hawaii, even though you I were there say, for five years. I wouldn't say I'm from Hawaii. Like people, oh, when people yes, are like, yes. where are you Sorry. from? I wouldn't be like, yeah. I'm from Hawaii, actually, originally. <laughs> <laughs> but some people, do. I mean, come on, dude. Uh, Mel Gibson would say he's from Australia and he's from New York. <laughs> I, I, uh, that's still fucking rocks my world i don't even know <laughs> <laughs> everyone go back and check out the mad max 2 pod for reference on that <laughs> if you do if you didn't know about this which apparently a lot of people don't that yeah no, Mel Gibson, why wouldn't not, they? not australian 
He's from New York. Hey. He's so, Australian in my book. He will. Yeah. I, you know, you got to hold on to your dreams. You know, it's, it's, it's like believing in Santa Claus or believing in Jesus. All right. Everybody's got to have their myths that they want to hold on to that makes their life make a little more sense. We just want to believe that he is Australian and also not racist, misogynistic and crazy. We just want to believe that Mel Gibson is, is that cool guy from Mad Max. We want to believe that he's Mad Max. Just keep him like an amber, just, you know, preserved in amber as Mad Max. He's from Australia. There we go. I believe it. I don't have to do any. That's just what I believe. (laughs) So steering this back to the subject at hand. What I wanted to also point out is I believe that Ricky G, obviously the star of the show, our leading man, but really shines in this movie and says a lot because this was his first and only movie. He never acted in anything other than this. He was he was hired on by his brother because none of the other people were making the cut. And at the time of this movie, Rick was in a master's program and his his brother apparently saw saw the goods in him and he delivers. He really, really portrays this role so convincingly and so um, in such an unnerving way. You, you think that this guy literally is on the brink of a breakdown the whole time. And there's like some really choice harrowing moments and one liners throughout this movie that I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed that Rick didn't go on to do anything else, but maybe we're all the better for it because we have him once again, preserved in Amber encapsulated in this role and doing it so well. So I had the same exact thought, like, um, especially despite like, you know, how independent and low budget this was when people are using like their friends and or in this case, like a brother or whatever to act in their in their low budget movie, usually get some pretty heinous performances. But I thought both Frankie and Kathy were both not only like well-rounded and fully realized characters, but that they both did a bang up acting job. I thought they both were genuinely really good like I, I don't think anyone would confuse this for like an Oscar worthy performance or anything but um, you know I genuinely sympathize with them as a couple and their situation just in general and it's also just really well written too so right. I you know I think if those two are are poorly acted characters um, or performances this is like almost unwatchable because they take up so much of the screen time and so much is depending upon them. I think they both do a great job. It's crazy. I think it, they both are really, really good. It's it's really wild. Better than any actor in like Deadbeat at Dawn or any of these kinds of movies that we've watched. We don't sure. really get these sorts of performances in, in this, this kind of movie. Well, it's funny you mention that because, yes, I believe that in, in, in many ways – what they do is is superior to say comparative movies, but I did want to point out that I feel like there is an equivalent with Deadbeat at Dawn, and that's Mark Pittman, who we talked about, who played Bone Crusher. He's the the one gang member that he has that monologue 
towards the end of the movie where he's just just high out of his fucking gourd and where he's ranting and raving about how he just loves killing people. That to me though is like an equivalent where I feel like Mark Pat uh, Mark Pittman does a really good job at being you know, an amateur actor, just a, a guy that's your pal that you threw into a movie and just right off the cuff can deliver something very convincing in that role. So, but yes, I agree. Like qualitatively, these two, these two are better than any of that. Like it's not even on the same to me, like that, even that monologue is nowhere. It pales in comparison to what these two are doing. Fair like enough. It's not even close. Yeah. Just, I mean, they just do a really good job in this. It's just really good. Yeah. Um, as far as other things, there is going back to the performance and, and speaking about spe- specifics, there is the maggot scene where he's walking through the city and he sees, you know, a transient or whatever rifling through the garbage. And at this point, he's just really getting desperate because he wants to find something for his family. The transient pulls out some like raw meat or something from a trash can. And so obviously in his brain, he's like, well, I got to do something. So he goes over and he pulls up in the trash can and he immediately has a flashback to Vietnam and then looks in the trash can and sees the, the maggots just crawling all over. And a good maggot scene in any movie is a way to really turn anybody's stomach. And I feel like that's also like one of the examples of how well he performs in this. And just when they go back to those Vietnam flashback scenes and just think about like, it's, you kind of got to like suspend disbelief a little bit because you can clearly tell with some of those scenes that they're just shot in like the backyard or whatever of their house or the spare bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. But that's like what I enjoy about this is when movie makers like this, just they work with what they have and, and they, and they pull it off to great effect. So, well, I did, um, you know, to piggyback on that, there, there was just really good practical effects. Um, Specifically, I love the like oozing, gnarled up uh, junkie arm. I, I thought that was yeah. good. All the war stuff, like the the limbs and the people that have been like ev- eviscerated or like cut in half and shit. Like that was that was fun. And they did a good job. You know, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do want to talk about the gang or like the the the. Uh the guys that are basically after Frankie for, yeah. for, for his money, the, the loan sharks. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I do like the loan sharks a lot. And I guess this is, could be a, a good, bad, but we've had this discussion in other episodes where we talk about some of the costume design choices of some of the, the characters. Um, I like the kamikaze, the chubby kamikaze guy because it is so ridiculous. But also, I don't understand why he's in that group the way he is. Why, why that was a you know an artistic choice to make him stand out so much and look so ridiculous when they could have just had three trench coated goomba looking guys. <laughs> yeah, it's in my Frank. It's, it's in my questionable. So do you want me to hold off on it or do you want to just 
talk about this now. Well, it's not good. I don't think it's good. Yeah. Definitely bad or questionable. <laughs> Unless you liked it. Like, I mean, I guess it's I a- liked it from like a what the fuck is. But I was more like had a lot of questions and was like, this is fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess. It really rolls it all, all three categories in one. <laughs> yeah, because we got good performances from at least two of the guys and, you know, they deliver. But then we have this. Well, my question ball. is just about that one guy. Yeah, it's right. not. The yeah. other ones are fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I just wanted to, yeah, I guess, point out that there are some supporting uh, cast performances that are good as well. The uh, Mark, which is Frankie's friend, that's, that's strung out. He does a very convincing job of uh, playing a, a, a very desperate junkie. And that's See, where, Mark you know, is on the same level as the guy you were referencing in Deadbeat at Dawn. Like, I feel like that is a similar performance where Mark, that was good. Like, yeah. I thought I thought Mark did a good job in this, but there, he's not like carrying the movie like these other, like specifically Frankie is. Well, we'll leave it at that with Mark Pittman because Mark Pittman will probably come up again, maybe down the road. Uh, but for me, you know, the supporting cast does really well in this. Um, even again, <laughs> like when we get to just these real, what would be mundane sort of scenes like him going to the social worker, which the social worker is played by Buddy G. <laughs> oh, okay. I think we get we get three Giovanazzi's in there as well because he's talking to the social worker and then the guy busts in asking for his Ronco Vegematic. Is that <laughs> another brother? I think it is, but that guy I I had to when I first saw this movie, I had to do some research because he just looks like Des Cadena from Black Flag to me. <laughs> well, we've but, got a lot going on. He does look like that is true. You know what I mean? He totally looks like him, but I think he's just another one of the family because he looks very similar. Yeah, to the other guys. Do have very <laughs> strong bloodline. But that whole scene is very interesting unto itself because, again, it's just this. You know, it should be a pretty cut and dry scene, but then there's these weird, surreal flourishes that are kind of thrown in there. There's the one part where the social worker kind of like looks off. You may remember this, but he kind of says something very just non sequitur and then like snaps out of it and gets back into the discussion about um Frankie not being able to get a job because he doesn't doesn't have the skills, and then we have the guy that just busts in. Hey, you see my vegematic? Yeah, <laughs> and then <What>? dips out. <laughs> that whole scene. There's like little little details like that. There's the one goofball guy that shows up in the unemployment line that he's like kind of like this weird kind of I don't know. He'd be like an egg punk, glue punk guy, glue sniffing punk. <laughs> and just has like a rubber man hanging out of his trench coat. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Lots of just some real choice Staten Island characters. Right. And that's what I love about this. Same thing with like Deadbeat at Dawn, where it's just this cast of characters that they just threw into the movie while they were probably, you know, on location. And they see these guys like, hey, you want to be in a movie? And they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Well, I was gonna say, it's kind of the same thing. You are. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same thing with with nowadays, like the Safety Brothers stuff. They're the same. They kind of apply the same technique, where they just find these 
you know, New York characters that they've known and put them in their movie. Yeah. And they have no training whatsoever. And they do they, they do the job with a plum. Specifically that Safety Brothers movie that's about that heroin addict. I thought it was like a fucking documentary. I still heaven knows what. They have a movie called Heaven Knows What about a, a homeless heroin addict. And it's they blend like I think some of them are actors and some of them are actual heroin addicts and they blend it together. So it's like it's like a documentary, I guess. But some of the people in it are portraying the, the lead character, the, the female was a former heroin addict that is acting like a heroin addict, I guess. So it's it's a yeah, that is about as cinema verite as you get without being a documentary, I guess. Yeah, and and Harmony Korine also. Yeah, he does the same, the same thing. thing. Yeah, he does. Which is funny with Harmony Korine stuff. When I watch some of his movies, and then I think, oh, that particular person playing that role, they're they got to be just some ran, random weirdo. And then I'll look into their filmography, and they're actually actors. So he, I feel like he blurs the line a little bit more. Same thing with you know we were talking about Linda Manns last week. Linda Manns, when I first saw Gummo. And for years, I just thought, oh, she's just some weird mom that they got to put in the movie. And she's actually was a trained actress that just had been out of the biz for a long time. And yeah, Harmony Korine, yeah. you know, brought her back for her pentultimate role in movies. Um, <clears throat> I, <laughs> when they're uh, running through the city chasing Frankie, uh, the, the Lone Sharks. Did you notice how they're running through and they're just kind of minding their own business, essentially, but weird chubby kamikaze man always has to intentionally go out of his way to throw bystanders. I I did see, yeah, like just like (laughs) sucker punching bystanders as he ran by. I don't know. Maybe we should talk about that guy now because he now more we talk about it, the more I'm like, like. Think of that guy was actually the greatest thing in the movie. But that's what I'm saying. Yes, he's 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 he, an example of he's an enigma, a good, bad, questionable enigma, right? A force, a tour he's a de trinity. force. He's the trinity he, represented. He's a, yeah. He he's not categorical. We can't. He won't fit in any of our categories, literally and figuratively. Um, the scene where Frankie sits down with the the child prostitute also is really good. And also to me portrays, this is a good character development on the part of buddy G and Frank's, uh, yeah. Uh, his, uh, Rick, sorry, Rick's portrayal of Frankie, because fundamentally he's, he's a good guy. He's just trying his best to do what he can to get back home and, and help his family. And, you know, he, at that time, life was just that bad for a lot of people. It just didn't matter how hard you tried or how good of a person was. And it's still like that. It's always been like that, but, you know, particularly at that time in New York, there were so many people that were dealing with that. And, you know, that scene portrays like, he's just trying to be a good, good guy. He cares about people. He's not trying he, he's on the brink at that point of doing bad or quote unquote bad, doing something illegal because he's so desperate, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to, he has a moral code 
And I feel like that whole scene portrays that as well, where, you know, he's just trying to be good to this kid. And then the pimp (laughs) steps in and thinks that he's trying to, you know, he's trying to take this child prostitute home with him or whatever for uh, for free, I guess. And then that uh, that altercation happens. And that's a whole nother like, you know, great scene happening there where he's back and forth with the pimp and the pimp has a really good line where he says shut up bitch if i wanted a song and dance i called gene kelly <laughs> that's literally the only quote i wrote down i thought this I movie f- was terribly quoted like it, it's like the least quotable movie on the planet. <laughs> i feel like it has some good ones there but that one's definitely a stand-up <laughs> where he says that <laughs> i have like 150 thoughts and I've already forgotten like while you were talking I was like yeah I want to mention that yeah I want to mention that now I like don't have any so we can we can continue (laughs) yeah we can probably like kind of wrap this up a little bit but obviously all these things aside really the big payoff with this movie is the ending because it's one of those where if if you if you've stuck with it till the end that's where you get the the real big like tra- traumatizing what the fuck ending there um with we have a, a multi homicide suicide scenario that it also um has Frankie putting his mutant baby his mutant baby that he's shot up to shreds into the oven he just absentmindedly puts into the oven, cranks it to broil, takes out his spoiled milk, (laughs) fills his glass of spoiled milk and drinks as he's staring with the the thousand mile stare off into the distance and then eventually um, blows his brains out all over the wall. Are you familiar with um, the Sacramento, uh, the vampire of Sacramento at all? No, I'm I'm not. Oh, never mind. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole then. <laughs> is this a movie? <laughs> no, it's a serial killer. His name is Richard Chase. Um, this oh, movie, no, that's crazy. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Uh, this movie, I wrote this earlier. Uh, I wrote this at the top, like my off the top thoughts. Um, then I was like, this will be dependent upon if if uh, Adam's even heard of this guy. But this movie yeah. begs the question, what if John Rambo was Richard Chase to me? Um, and I'll, maybe I'll put oh, up a okay. side by side. This this guy, <laughs> this uh, Rick, looks uh, well. Frankie's character, but yeah, Rick por- portraying Frankie. Frankie looks exactly like Richard Chase. It's fucking okay. like it was distracting to me. But also, what what's funny is that Richard Chase, as part of his mayhem, uh, murdered a i believe like an 18 month old and like hollowed out the skull and like ate cereal out of it like he was a fucking maniac like total unhinged fucking maniac how have i not heard of this guy he's great (laughs) one of my favorites uh and uh he like had that he had some sort of diagnosis of like where he thought his organs were failing him i can't remember what that's called where he thought he needed to like consume both animal and human blood to stay alive because the blood he had in his body was tainted or whatever um so this (laughs) frankie just reminds me of like if John Rambo was Richard Chase, like he's got the PTSD of John Rambo, but he also has like, especially when he, that, that final scene where he 
he kills the fucking mutant baby and he's just going on a fucking rampage. I was like, this is crazy. This is like pure Richard Trace, uh, Richard Chase vibes right now. But but yeah, I love that. I love that final scene so much. It's uh, it's a real uh, beast of resistance. If you yeah, will. it's it's super nightmarish and it's very nightmarish. It's, when you get to that point, you're like you, you definitely are fully in to that mindset of just there's no hope. Whatsoever. Pure nihilism. Yeah. Pure, yeah. pure nihilism. Um, so, yeah, I pretty much think that sums up the good. Uh, I feel I, I felt like going into this, it was going to be hard to describe the good for me because of the nature of this movie. But I think we did a good job. So unless you have anything else, we can move on to the bad. I didn't have any. Um, I didn't disagree with you uh, with any of the good. Like what you yeah. were describing, I, I would have spoke up if I was like, you know what? That's actually in my bed. So like, um, so I think this is, I don't know for you. Is this a strange episode? Can you even like tell whether or not I like this movie? Like usually we, we have these movies and then it's like, uh, Oh fuck. I put Pat through the fucking ringer or whatever, but like, I can't even tell if whether or not you could tell if I even liked this. No, I can tell you, you liked it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm glad. You know, again, whenever I do throw these, what I consider kind of curveballs at you, I, I'm well, always... You, you know, I love movies that take place in a single day. Uh, yes. You know, dude, that's, and that's, that's something I love. Yeah, and that's funny that you mentioned that. I actually had this thought. I was half awake this morning. I was, you know, trying my best to get out of bed. And I had the same thought that you did with that with that phrase that this is similar in many ways to me to like falling down yeah falling, so it's like, a very falling down like his like his day just keeps getting worse like right this, yeah. this there's parallels there's the hero's journey sort of parallels that you can a, a b with a movie like falling down where it takes place in a day this guy just having the worst fucking day he's just trying to get across the city to meet his or just Goal. like dog day afternoon or whatever. Yes. Like you wake up yes. with them and then it's just a shit day. And it's like, right. you know, you're following them throughout the day. I love, I love a movie that takes place in a single day. I love it. I, yeah. like, that's just like some of my favorite shit. Yeah. So that's great yeah. that you mentioned that because that was something that I did want to talk about and almost forgot. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, but I did want to real quick mention that I really do like the score. This was the score. Yeah, was, I love the synthy dark wave song that plays like periodically throughout the whole movie. Like I don't know what that who put that together. What is it is uh it's, it's did Rick. Rick Rick did the music. Okay, yeah. So yeah. whatever track Rick laid down, that like dark wave synthy I Almost love like disco. That. Yeah, it's it like, has that weird quirky kind it of is weird. It's like yeah. early D mode where it's like I could dance to this and I could also like join one of those <laughs> axe cult gangs in like a fucking yeah. <laughs> warehouse somewhere. Like I don't. Right. I love love the music. It was yeah. uh, it kept me going. But I just before we got out of the good, I wanted to make it clear that I I really liked this movie a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, I yeah, agree with that- everything that you brought up. That's good. Yeah. And like that. Yeah. That that recurring motif 
with that with that song, that theme that keeps coming up. Yeah, yeah you just, I love it. Whenever yeah. it comes up, I'm like, I'm like bobbing my head and fucking, I'm like, hell yeah, you're gonna talk yeah. to this 13 year old prostitute. It's like, ping, pop, ping, pop, pop. like fuck yeah. I'm, the, yep, the, I'm, the prostitute also reminded me of when Rocky um, talks to little Marie in the first one. Yes. And she's like, screw you, creepo. And he's like, <laughs> just trying to help. Hey, <laughs> hey, well, you do. hey Rocky. <laughs> Yo, screw you, creepo. Or <laughs> also <laughs> to make the ta- yeah, <laughs> to make the taxi driver parallels. It's also very similar to obviously Travis Bickle's. Um, relationship that he has with Jodie Foster's character in that. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's, for, he's, this is like more of a mentorship thing. Well, more sure. of like a, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree though. It's uh, it's the uh, Toys R Us version of Captain Save-A-Ho. <laughs> <laughs> Captain, Captain Save-A-Ho Jr. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyways, um, so let's move on to the bad. Like I said, I don't really have a lot of bad. There's definitely, you know, there's not even a lot of technical bad. This is a well-made movie for being low budget. Um, it's yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention it, but I uh, I love the uh, when when Frankie's psychotic break happens and they have like they project the war images directly yeah. onto his like catatonic face it's just a really good piece of filmmaking just like yeah. just really well done but okay yes yeah. to move on to the bad for me it's more um it's more bads in terms of um thematically i guess bads you know bad bad uh, there's <laughs> I guess representations of living a quality life bad. I don't know how else to say like, um, you know what I mean? I don't even have a problem with that though. Like, right. I have specific bads. Like I do. Let me get the party started. This could be like 15 to 20 minutes shorter. There's no reason this needs to be over 90 minutes. Like at all. Um, I would argue that you get rid of the entire opening Vietnam stuff because you have enough, flashbacks throughout the rest of the movie to move like the PTSD narrative along. Like I do not need that opening scene. I could have the murder of that, of the village woman in a flashback. I, I didn't need uh, to be transplanted to uh Staten Nam. <laughs> <laughs> Staten Island is Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, that's I, I, that's one one thing. It's, it's sure. too long for. I don't want to be bummed for that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with you with, with that. I feel like that that part could be edited or excised to a certain degree. And because of that, I think like well, these sort of like independent like guerrilla filmmaking school projects. I don't want to say school projects. It's not like a total like amateurish affair or anything like that. But, um, but those sorts of movies have little to no replay value for me. Like I would probably never watch this again, but really enjoyed it. And like, I'm glad it exists. And I probably never watched deadbeat at dawn again. Um, they're just like oh, one offs. They're just, it's just something that I would, they're the one night stands of movies. Like I would never sleep with these people again. <laughs> 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 because they're crazy 
because you yeah right? yeah I you don't want that baggage like I don't you're fun bring, yeah. invite that in yeah <laughs> you're fun They're for fun, one night for fun for the one night i, I had a great time but i probably <laughs> would never call him again i wouldn't yeah, call back these movies don't call me ever again um i'm in disagreement with you on that especially with deadbeat at dawn i feel like deadbeat at Dawn has a lot of replay value. It's just, it's very More so than this. I would agree with that. No, sure. I, I I totally agree with that. Sure, but this is this is one of those movies. <laughs> Some people will maybe um, <laughs> decry my comparison here, but if I'm if I'm to make a comparison to maybe a bigger budget movie to this to a certain extent, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream is one of those movies that. I honestly, I think it's a well-made film. I like it a lot. I could never watch that more than like a couple times in my whole life. Yeah, I would agree. But, That's a tough, tough ask. But I do like bum out films. So, you know, this movie, I do feel I could watch with some regularity. So I'm a little bit in disagreement with you on that, but I understand also where you're coming from that. Yeah. You don't, you don't need a whole lot of, you're a family man too. You don't need, you don't need this in your life. You don't need this. Yeah. yeah. yeah if I have the, the limited amount of time I have to myself, it'd, it'd be hard for me to like trudge this up as something I would want to do with my free time. That's not to say I didn't like it, um, <laughs> but I don't think I would revisit it. Uh, even though, you know, Pink Flamingos is another one. If we didn't have to watch it for this, I would have had no reason to have just watched that unless I'm showing it to somebody else. Pink Flamingos is a movie you show to other people and it's a fun movie to have on. This is not fun. So I I particularly wouldn't trudge this up because I wouldn't <laughs> be like, let's watch this. Like, let's I've got a bunch of beers in the fridge and we have some friends over like this isn't that because uh, you would do that and you would have no friends. Well, I definitely put um, Salo on at a party. <laughs> I definitely I think... watched Salo. That's funny. Salo is kind of a party movie. I've I seen Salo so too. Party too. <laughs> I think we. I looked around and everyone had left except for the Jones brothers. And I was like, well, my people. And they were just, <laughs> no pun intended, huge shit-eating grins on their faces. Cutting okay, the wheat pun, from the chaff. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Our idea of of party movies is a little skewed, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I it also, is a party in Solo, so they're having the party. So I think Solo is a great movie because I don't. Solo is a perfect example of a movie I don't want to sit down and watch by myself. That seems like way worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> Solo is almost exclusively. To show other people to be like, oh, you want depravity like and in like a very uh, prim and proper art house lens yes. through a, like that sort of lens. That's what's so freaking right. wild that that movie it is not cheaply made. It is not. It is a big budget fuck fest is crazy <laughs> that it was ever made. Um, it's like you need, back, a, go you need a support group. You do. You, do, you do need a support group. But going back um, to Combat Shock, I also think, and you get this with sometimes more experimental movies will have this sort of vibe, but there's no story arc here. There's no like conflict or problem that necessarily needs solving. Like in Falling Down, even though it takes place in one day, it's like it's established early on that he wants to make it home for his daughter's birthday. Like that is the thing here and i guess in this it's like 
hey, we're being evicted and um, figure this out. Like, yeah, you need to get find money somehow. So I guess that would be the conflict. But for the most sure. part, it's a movie that kind of lacks a sort of narrative, which I think is purposeful because the narrative reflects like the aimlessness and the hopelessness of Frankie's situation. So the movie is like almost purposely aimless. Um, yeah. As to like reflect his own aimlessness. So, you know, that's it. I have a problem putting that in my bad because I don't have a problem with that sort of storytelling. Um, but it does make for uh, a movie that I feel like other people would find hard to hard to sit through because it is just from one bummer situation to the next. And it's the only thing that ties everything together is the fact that it takes place in one day. Well, I did want to go back to kind of dip back into good a little bit because it did mention um, <clears throat> that this movie isn't very action packed, but it, but it is punctuated by certain moments and uh-huh. you talking about the lack of narrative kind of reminded me of that as far as there being these points of conflict here and there, there is some like good action moments when they're there, like the ending, like when he ultimately has his conflict with the, with the gang, with the loan sharks and he ends up blowing them all away. That's really good. And when he emerges from that final conflict with them, where he gives them their comeuppance and he essentially, he rises from it like the Phoenix reborn, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of how he describes it. And I'd be remiss to not talk about that part either, because that's, you know, in a lot of ways, that's, I would say that is the apex of the plot, you know, where he's, he's finally come to that moment where he, he's snapped, he's completely snapped, but he knows what he's got to do. He, right. he's, 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 he's found out his, his purpose. He's been reborn and he looks like a zombie in that point. That's what's so crazy about it. He looks like a demonic kind of zombies. You know, he's completely lost the light in his eyes and he's got the gun and now he knows what he's got to do, which is, it's not to go rob a bank or a convenience store to get what he needs for his family. It's, he needs to go back and, deal with the ultimate problem which is his family and himself and himself that yeah he had no recourse and no, no recourse so again once you get to that point where you know it's completely you've lost any hope you know just the final solution essentially is at oh, hand. God. so <laughs> <laughs> so i did want to bring that up as well i feel like we, you know we it wouldn't be a proper discussion about the movie if we didn't it, bring up that that essentially that is another penultimate to scene which leads to you know the the double murder suicide any anything else any other bads because i agree with you on those points and i'm glad you brought up i just said things like well you know don't get addicted to heroin child prostitutes frankie's dad those are all <laughs> frankie's yeah. racist dad <laughs> Bad people, yeah. Yeah, bad people. No, I don't have so, any other specific bad. Questions? You, we well, we talked so about guess, we had the questions with the, the kamikaze man. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, so now we can talk about him. Um, yeah, I just have a question about his overall vibe, which you were, which you were, and I know we're on the same page. That's what you were kind of 
talking about, but the guy is like straight out of central casting for generic, like subway thug. Like he should be in predator two. Like you right. should be the, it's really bizarre, but I, yeah, I don't know what his aesthetic is, but he's got the, the, the Japanese flag headband, <laughs> some sort of like generic skull and crossbone cut off T with like a white chain that's crisscrossed in the front. He's got a stud, studded leather vest, cowboy boots, fingerless gloves. There's like an African beaded necklace thrown in there just to confuse the yeah. whole ensemble. Or, yeah, or native, <laughs> like a native. Yes, yeah, some sort of native beaded <laughs> necklace. He is uh, an amalgamation of <laughs> of different stereotypes. Yeah, just his shit is just really thrown together. That straight out of central casting. Yeah, he is essentially so. I grew up fairly without talking about people not having a whole lot. I grew up pretty, you know, pretty poor for all intents and purposes. And when I was, you know, going through this part of my life where I was, you know, I wanted to be weird, not necessarily punk, because I never really thought of myself as a punk as much as I liked punk. I was more like, I'm a weird, I'm a weirdo. I feel like this is like this guy is going through his teenage. I'm a weirdo phase and I don't have a lot yeah. of money. So this is what it means to be a weirdo. So I'm just going to throw a bunch of shit together. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> he just really. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't need to be there, but I'm glad that he's there. They could have, as I said, they could have just had another leather trench coated guido looking thug guy yeah yeah would have been perfectly unless they were fine. doing like a favor by casting this guy i don't get it and that's what i wonder is does this this is one of their homies and this was like a lifelong dream of his was okay if i'm gonna be in your movie i want to be this guy i want to be this they had to go along with it this biker punk facsimile of thug I just texted you a picture of Richard Chase. Okay, great. Thank you. I'm glad that you made me privy to the to that guy because tell me if he doesn't look exactly like this main character. I love that picture of him with the tie and the gun. Just no, that's just all shoulder holster gun. Oh, that's a yeah. Okay, now I see. He's just so wasting away that it just hangs on him. He resembles a lot of people. To me, that I'm not quite able to conjure their names, but he has—he definitely has a look. That look. Well, he was just consisting. He was just living on rabbit's blood for like uh, ten years of his life, so he was wasted yes. away. See, and that sounds familiar too. That detail. So I'm sure I've heard of this guy, but just initially the name wasn't ringing a bell. So definitely gonna look him up when we finish up here get more more details um questions so we you know we've talked about our the the, the sore thumb guy guy that the, the overly aggro member of an already aggressive group yeah, of loan when you're the most aggressive person in an already aggressive gang that's like that's a type for sure he definitely yeah he's definitely overcompensating for the fact that he's clearly a dweeb <laughs> I mean, the fingerless gloves give it away. Yeah, for sure. He definitely gives off what is he gives off Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what he I does. mean? The Francis joined a gang. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. 
My other question uh, was, can you do drugs just by dumping them into an open wound? That's pretty tight. Because if so, I've been, I've been doing it wrong here for years. Right. Yeah. I'm sure some of it would get in your bloodstream, but there's no way you could OD from just dumping drugs into like a, a gaping arm wound. Right. I would imagine the the scenario unless with, you were dumping like arsenic into an open wound. I can't imagine you would OD. You wouldn't even. I mean, you're just dumping heroin into an open fuckhole in your the pit of your arm. Like, could you OD from that? These are real questions. I would imagine the scenario that's playing out with that guy is he's already on death's door and. He's just trying to get what he can in his veins before he finally blinks You'd out. You'd say he's uh, knock, knock, knocking on it? He'd, he'd be knocking. <laughs> he'd be knocking. Yeah, I, um, that, w- that was definitely a question I had as well, but I don't know. I, I'll have to I'll have to defer to any intravenous drug users I've known in my life. See what what the yeah well yeah what, either neither one of us is really equipped to answer these questions. We are not. We we are fairly bereft of hard drug use in our histories. <laughs> yeah, the last thing I mainlined was like the code red, and that was down my fuckhole. <laughs> um, I had a question about. When Frankie is in the queue, if we want to be British, he's in the queue for the uh, unemployment. This is is really for the Brit. This episode's for the the Brits, the Brit (laughs) listeners. We've said pram. We said what? You said queue? Is that what you're saying? In the the queue. Is that a British word? Yeah, like that's the line. I thought it was just like a a Netflix word. <laughs> to all of our Netflix listeners <laughs> across the pond, Frankie, Frankie's in line at, at the unemployment office, and the the bicycle, the motorcycle babe just shows up and she kind of she's got her eye on Frankie. Would she? Would would this just babe just pull up on her hog and be? scavenging for some Frankie. Would she? Is that your question? I don't. That's that is the question. I just I don't see the attraction there of this gaunt, dirty, greasy man being of of, of everybody in the lineup. That's the guy that she's like, yeah, we're going to ride off into the sunset, my guy. Hop on. It's so weird that I don't even like um, did I miss this part? I don't even remember like a motorcycle babe or any. I don't even remember this. This is, yeah. it, is it a. Oh, OK, well, just it's, well, it's during the whole unemployment scene. She shows up very briefly and she's getting catcalled by everybody in line. But she's got her eyes specifically on Frankie and she kind of gives him a she gives him this nod like hop on, buddy. And he just kind of stares back at her. And so how would you respond. answer? Hell no. Just I don't see it happening, but I don't know. But that's but those are those little weird, like non sequitur moments that happen through the movie that, you know, why why did you put just to make it even more a little off kilter? Anyways, so there's that. Um, What else? Do you have anything else? There's no. Oh, no. I did have this in my good, but also a question as to why exactly the social worker would have 
a uh, Dawn of the Dead poster in his office. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> I did. Which um, actually some of the like early when I heard some of the um, music early on in the movie, it, it sounded very Dawn of the Dead. Because uh, yeah. Dawn of the Dead has that like, well, it's Goblin, right? Goblin. Yes, Goblin did do Dawn of the Dead. Sorry. So, yeah, it's very I got some little bit of Goblin vibes from the from the soundtrack. I don't even call it a soundtrack on this thing. This whatever music Rick threw together was very Goblin-y. But, yeah, I love I like that nod, too. When you've completed the trifecta of of slamming good into every category. (laughs) You're like talking about bad. Here's more good. Here's talk about questions. This remind me of a good. <laughs> yeah. Classic Adam. Okay. Moving on to our working <laughs> category section. Unless you had anything else. No, I don't. I can't tell how long I've been here. Days or years. I mean, what happened? This isn't supposed to happen here. category section completely revamped by by pat thank you very much our uh program coordinator pat (laughs) (laughs) we're many Uh, hats yeah he does Uh, and top in the list we have the the david mendelhall award for the worst performance it just makes me laugh even thinking about david mendelhall and how much we hate him (laughs) let's get him on the pod oh dude that would be amazing and Probably such a bummer for that dude. Yeah, I would be. I, I would be nice to him if he's listening. It would be easier to get. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his fucking name again, but the guy you went to high school with that played Anakin, oh, yeah. Yeah. Jake, yeah. Uh, Jake Lloyd, Jake Lloyd. Let's get Jake Lloyd on. Let's get him out of whatever insane asylum he's currently residing in. And I could. There's a. Yeah, that's more likely, but still that's unlikely. So- so anyways, he's, probably, he's probably a good hang. I don't know. Who knows? It would be interesting. I'll save that for the Jingle All the Way pod. Can't wait. Hope it's next. <laughs> uh, so who would you say? This the central goes? casting subway thug for, with, for me. Like, it is, uh, there's a lot going on there. And I don't think he hits any note properly. <laughs> wait, which one are you talking about? The kamikaze thug. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Yes. <laughs> That's the subway thug. Thank you. Sorry, I was getting my my wires crossed there because you were you were doing the throwback to Predator 2. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the uh, the community theater cast of subway thugs that they threw in the mix there. <laughs> he should, oh, the should-be subway thug, I should say. The should-be subway thug. Yeah, same. He, oh, okay. Again, he's Enigma because he's amazing, and I love that he's in this movie, but does he need to be there, and what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, does he need to be there is the question. Next word, uh, the Frank Booth Award that goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. Well, duh. 
the baby. That's the baby that's, because it, I thought about this. I was like, is that the answer? Because it it they best belong in a movie because it already is part of a movie that like <laughs> like the baby <laughs> is an homage to a David right. Lynch movie. So like, is that or is the is the category like uh, <laughs> yes somebody that's in this movie uh, that is acting out of a like should be in a David Lynch movie because they're not acting like it, the movie they are in currently. Yes. I, right. Correct. I understand. And I thought about that when I put the baby and it's like, well, that's completely on the nose because well, I don't want to overthink it. I put the baby too. So yeah. <laughs> so just put the fucking baby in there. <laughs> the baby is acting like a David Lynch character, <laughs> a very specific correct. one. Yeah. So this next category um, is <laughs> Slim Pickens from this movie. So, but um, I did have one. Uh, the EG Daily Secret Admirer Award goes to the biggest on-screen crush. I just said the lead prostitute, the dark-haired one that gives clap back to her pimp. She's pretty cute. The thirteen-year-old? No, God. <laughs> Adam picked the Adam picked the child prostitute. For the <laughs> no, the one that that he yeah, said. Yeah, he, yes. yeah. he says the uh, uh, if I wanted a song and dance, I'll call Gene Kelly too. Yes. Okay, we almost had to call <laughs> to CPS. <laughs> <laughs> Although if that that girl's older than you, so I guess I don't know. At this um, point, yes, she's definitely older than me. Yeah, I struggled. This is like playing who can get a boner at gunpoint. I don't really. <laughs> uh, I, I said the girl who robs the dead junkie. I mean, I can't. yeah, she's yeah, sure. I guess I guess I have a crush on her now. <laughs> I do like a woman that takes initiative and knows how to operate a firearm. So well, what about the yeah. motorcycle babe that I've somehow missed? Yeah, duh, the motorcycle babe. Also, he, you're right. You're right. I brought it up and I didn't even think about it. OK, I changed. I changed my answer. Motorcycle lady. Now that we're, we're done with Russian roulette boner game. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Next award. The Welcome to Primetime Bitch Award for the Best One-Liner. I know you said that this was bereft of one-liners, but I I found quite a few. I think we, we are in agreement on the aforementioned Shut Up Bitch. If I wanted a song and dance, I called Gene Kelly. By so that, that Richard would... Roundtree impersonator. I thought that <laughs> yes. was Richard Roundtree. I was like, that's cool he's <laughs> in this. I looked it up because I was convinced that was Richard Roundtree playing the pimp. It's, it's not. So. Uh, nobody in this movie has been in anything else. It's, no, no. This movie, except for except for Buddy G. I think Buddy G's been in some other things. Oh, I don't know why I didn't bring this up. I did want to mention this. Well, I guess I will. I'll just I'll save it. We'll, we'll bring it up here in a, in a moment. Um, OK, but there's that. But I felt like there were some other ones. Um, you're not looking for a job. You're waiting for the world to end. That's a good one. Okay, sure. Uh, We got in the very beginning when he is um, having his flashback and he's dealing with the Viet Cong soldier, the the female Viet Cong soldier, and he's torn as to what to do. And he says, she's so beautiful. And yet, why is she trying to destroy me? Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. that. Um, You're a fucking. Which is exactly what I think when I get Taco Bell. 
And I spread it all out on the table. I say, this is all so beautiful. Why are you trying to destroy me? Dude, we... Yeah, we had we had a a banquet of of to- late night Taco Bell the other night, and it was similar. I hope Swap. I don't make this. I hope my brain hasn't crossed wires now. But when I had COVID, uh, like a month ago, and like I was everybody sick, did. Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, I got taco the Taco Bell wings, which was like a a one week only thing. I got Taco Bell wings and we had miscellaneous Taco Bell and I had it in the middle of me being really sick. Uh, and I haven't had, I haven't had Taco Bell since. Cause I just, it's, I equate it to yeah. when I was sick, even those, those, even though the wings were really good, but yeah, Taco Bell is definitely that. like a, you beautiful fucking thing. Why, why do you want to destroy me later? <laughs> yeah. Now you but have you, that Pavlovian association. Fuck, I don't want it, but I, maybe it's a good thing because it does just rip right through me. I'm sorry to hear that. I still <laughs> still enjoy it. I'll be back. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else we've got? You're a fucking imbecilic pain in my fucking ass who I can't attribute to. I don't remember at this point. I just put it down. And then when... <clears throat> Frankie at the end has his apotheosis, as they say. That's when he says, I've now become God. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's are another... any of these are any of these even up for like which what's no. your favorite then? The the song and dance one. But I just oh, wanted okay. to <laughs> I just wanted to point out the other ones though, because you had stated that you felt like this this movie lacked in memorable one-liners and i i disagreed so i just wanted to bring up some other ones so i know that's a a divergence i know that's i'm sorry that i did that but i just i wanted to provide a little bit of a uh, retort to your statement that's all okay you just reiterated my point all right (laughs) (laughs) moving on to our wiki wormhole our trivia category where you know we do our bullshit internet search uh research for this movie so don't hold us to some of these because we're just looking up what other dumb dumb said on the internet so some of this might be bullshit but you know whatever if you don't believe it fine you can do your own do your own due diligence um anyways all the Vietnam flashback scenes were shot in the swamps of Staten Island. This is truly a, a, a guerrilla operation here. Um, and everything was done, obviously, with no permits. Completely just get in there, filmmaking. get the shot, get out. Yeah. So, and that's that's probably a given for anybody that would watch this. Yeah. There's no way that this any of this was on the up and up. So, same thing with Deadbeat at Dawn. Where they just got in there and fucking Dayton did the shot, got the fuck out before the cops showed up, which is great. I love it. Yes. I love that shit. Um, the puppet for the baby was only $140 to make. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And um, the torture scene, torture hut scenes where the, the POW flashbacks that uh, Frankie's having, all those scenes were filmed in buddy g's mom's backyard (laughs) and you can i think that one's the most the grossest offense like that one seems like they are literally in a a garden shed (laughs) 
yes. You shouldn't have had a, I know you have to like establish with an exterior shot, like where you're going, but that, that should have just cut straight to the interior shot. It's like, oh, I'm in this uh, backyard. Whoop. Now we're like doing like an interrogation scene. So are they yeah. interrogating in like, <laughs> like in the, in this shed? What's going on? Yeah. No, that well, was, and also that's funny. Well, I was also going to say also the scenes where post, um, uh, post, uh, Frankie being a POW where he's been retrieved or found and he's in the hospital. All those scenes look like they were just shot in an office somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up earlier, but it's fine for this category. And I, once again, I would be remiss if I did not bring this up. I don't know if you found out about this while you were doing any of your research on the movie. Um, and this was something that I've known for a while. Um, but Buddy G was in the pre-production of creating a or directing and maybe even writing with Joe Spinell, a sequel to Maniac. Maniac 2, Mr. Robbie. And there's a short of it that you can find. I don't know if you were aware That's of really this. That's really cool. No. I didn't know anything. Maniac 2, Mr. Robbie? The hell is yes. that? Okay, so here's the story with that. It wasn't made because Joe Spinell died while they were in the pre-production you know, planning of this. But the premise was <clears throat> Mr. Robbie was a child, child uh, a children's show host a beloved children's show host that ultimately is driven to go on a a vengeful rampage against abusive parents as he receives letters from his viewership, his child viewership, where they plea to Mr. Robbie that they're being abused in in their home. So Mr. Robbie eventually turns into a murderous vigilante and goes and starts killing these parents Mm. that... Um, have been, um, you know, whatever they've been uh, described by their children as being abusers. Now, like the crux of it, uh, that what I'm gathering is that it could all just be in his head that he's having hallucinations. Oh God, that, I'm actually kind of glad it didn't get made. The title is awful, but well, I would have watched. If you it. watch the short, you you see that maybe it was probably for the best. That okay. wasn't made. That does sound um, awful. But it is the idea that, you know, that it's out there is kind of interesting. And the reason why Joe Spinell apparently chose this swerve in in uh, the character or developing a whole different character, essentially, from Maniac 2 was because... When he did Maniac, he got just piles of hate mail from women's groups for it being an anti-woman movie, being, you know, a a misogynistic movie. And he felt bad because Joe Spinell fundamentally, he wasn't a womanizer. He was one of those guys where he really liked women. So he was with a lot of women. That's how his friends basically describe him yeah because he loved women so much it bummed him out that his this movie that he was involved in that he you know was at the helm of got so much backlash so it was his way i guess of trying to redeem himself (laughs) through that vehicle so 
Strange. I don't know how that redeems him. <laughs> so yeah. weird. That he's a vigilante parent killer. Yeah. <laughs> that would somehow yeah. rehabilitate See? See? the I maniac character. It's yeah. so weird. I love women and children so much that I'm going to kill their parents. <laughs> right. That's pretty much it. I love the, um, of the factoids that I read, the sour milk uh, was just uh, melted vanilla ice cream. I love the yes. clumpiness that it adds to it. Yes, that's great. Could just little... plop some cottage cheese and some milk, I guess. But then that wouldn't have been a, a nice little treat for take no. after take after take. <laughs> take of, yeah, take after take of you simulating blowing your brains out through the wall. With that too, I saw, I read that that took four takes, and they ended up just doing taking using the first take. So, right? Can you imagine stuff like that, where you're just working, you're just slaving away on set, and you do take after take? And the first one was takes. the one they use. Like, imagine having to keep doing it, and then the, the first one was good enough. That, that's so. That's always funny to me. I feel like that's that's something that occurs with regularity, be it with making films or art or or music, depending on you know how adept you are at your craft that a lot of times the first take is the best that you know if you you know if you, the spontaneity of it creates the, the yeah. desired effect yeah i've noticed that at least with writing and recording music for me personally a lot of times it's just like oh yeah the first take was good but anyways so that we're, uh, that leads us to rounding off the wiki wormhole with the body count and as we stated before, our record still is uh, our reigning champ is still dead alive at 87. This one I counted seven, and that would include uh, we've got the the loan shark guys. So we've that's got three. We've got Mark, right? The heroin addict. Four. Four. The woman at the we, beginning. Five. The woman at the beginning. He shoots uh, in his flashback. He shoots that woman in the village. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't even conclude those. So that throws that throws off my my number because I wasn't going to include the four that I just mentioned. Frankie, his wife, mutant baby. But now and, that you mentioned, yes, woman, we have so the Viet Cong. Yep. So there we go. We have eight total. Which. Given the source material, you think you would have thought it was even more than that, honestly. <laughs> right. Obviously, there's all the bodies strewn about in in the the rice paddies and the Viet Cong swamp, and oh. the bodies strewn about the Staten Island swamp. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the people the that swamp have... that is Staten Island, I should say, not the that the swamp the Staten Island swamp that they filmed in. <laughs> the, the collateral. Of Staten Island misery of New York yeah. misery. Okay, so now we're gonna rate this, and we got to come up with some sort of iconography. You know, the most obvious one would be the mutant babies out of five mutant babies. But we could, you know, the world is our oyster. We can come up with any number of iconography. What do you think? Pat? I'm cool with mutant baby. I think it makes the most sense. With uh. Because I think with Dead Alive, we did Selwyn's or something. But anyways, yeah. well. seems to be the go-to a lot. Is, uh, but yeah, let's just say out of five Agent Orange spawn mewling mutant babies, what did you what did you rate this, Pat? I would say three mutant babies out of five. I liked it. Three. It was it was good. 
it's it's good right down the middle. You liked it right down the middle. Not like you know, it's not blowing my blowing my brains away after I killed my family. Good, but like you know, it was I for sure did not hate it, and I'm glad you brought it to the table. That's great. I'm glad to hear. Um, I'm gonna say three and a half, close to four, just because you know I have more of an intimate relationship with this movie than you do. And I, and I know how much of an impact this movie eventually had on subsequent, uh, DIY renegade gritty underground filmmaking. So with that all in mind, I'll give it a, a, a little bit of a higher score from my, from my standpoint. Okay, Pat, now it's your turn. What are we watching next? So I was for sure going to do this one sometime this season what better time than now uh i promised a follow-up from last season when we did class of 1984 um i think the sequel is even more appropriate for this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so i think it's only appropriate that we do class of 1999 um which is even more batshit than uh, <laughs> class of 1984 and funny because it's only something that I watched because of our, I chose class of 1984 um, for last season. And as part of rewatching it for the podcast, I decided to watch class of 1999 for the first time. Uh, so I've only seen this movie once <laughs> and um, I've never seen it. And it's been something that I've been wanting to watch <laughs> per your you will love it. I I, can't, I I don't have any. I've never been more certain in my life that you will right. just absolutely love it. And it's it's uh, got a surprisingly stacked cat. I mean, Stacy Keach is in it. Pam Greer, Malcolm McDowell. Like it's like it's a bizarre cast. Um, and it's great. It's so batshit. It is came out in 1990, so it's 1990s interpretation of the future, which is always great. <laughs> that's great i love it yeah i'm really looking forward to talking about that one as well fantastic this has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness big thanks to charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music our outro music today for this episode is provided by suicide with frankie teardrop hear the song that inspired the movie if you haven't heard it already. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod.com at gmail.com, excuse me, or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod and also TikTok. Right, Pat? We got a TikTok. Yeah, same, same handle. I'm running our TikTok. There's no TikTok dances. We just post clips from our episodes, but it's, it's really soaring like a phoenix. Fantastic. I love to hear it because we can't say the same for our Instagram, but that is in a lot of ways Instagram's fault, not so much ours, I will say, to make myself feel better. Okay, for Adam Walker. Oh my God. For Pat Mitchell, I am Adam Walker. See you in 1999. We're going to party like it's 1999. I am a fucking idiot. <laughs> we're, we're like one person at this point. Cause things are just too hard. Frankie can't make enough money. 
Frankie can't buy enough food. And Frankie's getting evicted. All the tears for Frankie. Oh, Frankie, Frankie. Frankie, Frankie.